Praise God. I am uh, so, so thankful, uh, so very proud of the gang that went as well as the gang that sent. Uh, you guys know Daniel, uh, product of our youth ministry, and so it uh, just reminds us that everything we do, our labor in the Lord is not in vain, and that God is uh, doing a good work in us. So uh, praise God for that. Let me uh, pray for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing uh, our, our uh, folks back safely from the DR. We thank you that they've considered it worthy, a cause, to give up 10 days of their lives and to not be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone, American, Dominican, Ecuadorian, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, wherever we might be from, straight, homosexual, Whoever we might be, it's the power of God to save everyone. May we believe this. And so, Lord, in light of news that has sent some celebrating in cartwheels and sent others spinning in a grave, we pray that today you would give me the words to say to your church. My gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name, May your word fall on good and fertile soil in order that there might be fruit, fruit that would last for us to be witnesses to your glory, but also so that through our church and the open door that we have, that many who are broken sexually, many who are broken emotionally, spiritually, would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and to believe that you are good and that you love them very much. May that be our story. May that be uh, our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Inside your, your bulletin, I wrote a letter that uh, just talks about where I was this weekend and say thank you for praying for me. And um, you can read that in due time. I was up at a retreat in Virginia. And it was uh, pretty much after I had finished my, my last uh, sermon on Friday morning, I gave an invitation for people wanted to, uh, to respond, and as people were standing, I went to my seat to, to grab my phone to take a picture, and it was then that I got a breaking news alert that the Supreme Court ruled five to four in favor of legalizing same-sex marriage. And I have to admit that my uh, reaction wasn't to pray <laughs> and to trust and, and to proclaim the sovereignty of God over it. I felt sad. I felt heavy-hearted. I felt very disturbed. Part of me felt angry. I felt remorseful. And as time went on, I began to read and to pray, to process through, to hear opinions, to talk to a lot of people about where they were and, and what they're feeling, uh, some who are excited about the decision and others who are uh, understandably heartbroken by it. And the more I, I read and the more I heard, the more I just began to have a sense of, of what the Lord is, is trying to, to, to maybe say to me, at least, in all of these things. And as I was uh, wrestling with and, and coming to grips with all these things, um, yeah, I felt like, yeah, I, I obviously will need to talk about this come Sunday morning. And so I, I started putting pen to paper and all the while doing what I could in order to understand uh, the, the, the issues and understand the viewpoints and writing to our congressman and writing to our state senator and, and saying, I stand for, uh, for the traditional biblical view of marriage and and doing what we could. And so today, uh, get to a point where um, I, I feel like yeah, I feel like we talk about this or you know, often talked about in our, in our circles, but um, because it's come up in such a full force, 
need to, we need to deal with and we need to talk about. And so my, my heart is that I want to help you as Christ-centered leaders to understand what God's call is for us, how we can process through this, and then how we can be agents of transformation in the world. That's my aim, is that we would, we would get it and we would understand that uh, we're not on the defensive here. We're not on the defensive, that God's given us a purpose in it. So I, I, I don't know where else to go, but to uh, actually, there was a bunch of different passages. When I go back to Matthew 5, uh, some of you are like, we're going back to the Beatitudes? Yeah, you can't get away from it. This is your life, okay? Uh, Matthew 5, uh, we're going to read basically from where we started this series up until where we ended last week, uh, because I think this is relevant. I, 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 I worked through different passages while I was riding on the airplane back home, saying, you know, this is where I'll preach, this is where I'll go. But at the end of the day, I, I just want to go back here. And uh, don't worry, this is all going to be new. I'm not going to, this is one point from the first sermon, one point from the third, not like that. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 16. This is God's word. Now when Jesus, he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples, right, his followers, in our world today, uh, Christians, came to him, and he began to teach the believers, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. The same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. When I uh, left this retreat, you know, usually... uh, when the retreat is done or after a sermon, as you know, after I preach, this is what you guys do when you hear a guest speaker too. You say, thank you for sharing the word of God or thank you for speaking. This is what really spoke to my heart. Um, and usually they'll, they'll, they'll mention a different thing. But this time, and, and this is what I wrote about, uh, of the, um, the, the, the people that I spoke with after each message and as I was leaving, unilaterally the same thing. They said the exact same thing. The theme of this retreat, as we sang, was for me to live as Christ. To live is Christ. That was the theme of this retreat. And if you say to live as Christ, there's some hard teachings that come out of that. Because the very next thing that Paul says is he says to die is to gain. And so there would be times where I knew that some of the things that I was saying were not going to be popular. But I said, listen, I'm not saying what I want to say. I don't want to. If it was up to me, I want you to like me. I wouldn't say these things. But I'm saying what God's word says. If you have an argument, you've got to argue with him and not with me. Because I, I don't care. If you're mad at me, that's cool. I'm leaving. But you've got to deal with the word of God. And one by one, as, people, as I was talking with people, that's, that's the, the one thing they said. They said, thank you for allowing your messages to come out of the word of God. Thank you for standing boldly on the word of God. 
And my response to one of them, you know, it's kind of awkward. They're complimenting you and saying thank you. And, and I'm just like, okay, thanks. And like got my hands in my pocket, looking at my feet, feeling all awkward. It's kind of like someone saying happy birthday to you. You're like the most awkward person in there because everyone's staring at you and wanting you to smile and laugh, but you're staring at the cake. So I felt like that. They're like, oh, you know, thank you. But is this one, one person was saying something. I responded back. I said, that's all I know. If I didn't have the word of God, I don't have a mess. No one's inviting me to speak if I don't have the word of God. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this guy, uh, David Larry, says some funny things on Facebook. Uh, has some funny uh, statuses. No, nobody says that. It's because of the word of God. And I think on a day like today, the one thing that we need, the one thing that we not on a day like, but any day, but even more so today, what we need more than anything else is we need to hear, not the opinions of people, not the people on CNN, not the talking heads on Fox News, MSNBC. Or, we need to hear the word of God. And I'm almost positive that this will be one of the most downloaded sermons off our Internet, off our podcast. It will also be the one because we've got people who are listening to this from from a bunch of different places. We track these things. It's probably going to be the one that gets the most heat from people. And could be the week that we lose the most subscriptions. But that's cool because what else do we know but the word of God? And you don't need me to stand up here and say something that you don't know already. You need to hear clearly and unequivocally what the Word of God says about this. So hopefully you'll come back next week. Three things. The first thing. First thing. Jesus still reigns. And his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus still reigns and his kingdom is not of this world. Check it out. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? He's saying that people didn't talk about this uh, kingdom being present until I started coming. The message that was preached because I came was the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. Therefore, repent and you can be part of this kingdom. What is he saying? He's saying if the kingdom is here, then it presupposes one simple fact. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And what Jesus is saying long before Jack ever said it on the on the hull of the Titanic, he said, I'm the king of the world. That's what Jesus said. And you know what? He's still saying that today. He said that Friday, as soon as the announcement was made, he still said, I'm, I'm still the king of the world. Jesus wasn't threatened by this decision. He didn't sweat over the decision. He didn't lose sleep over this decision. He didn't say, oh my gosh, where was I when the Supreme Court decided to step into the role of the Godhead? He didn't say any of that. He said, I'm still king over the world. You watch and you wait and you see. This is not the time for us to flip out and freak out and to say, oh, my gosh, maybe Jesus doesn't reign. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom extends from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. This is the ancient hymn. Right? Jesus is still king. He's still reigning. Let's lay that down as the foundation for everything that we're going to do. Right? He has not abandoned his throne. The world is going to be okay the first thing that we have to understand i'm not done with that point but he's saying i'm the king i'm still the king jack is dead i'm still the king of the world but he says for theirs is the kingdom of heaven jesus kingdom is not of this world and when he came into this earth he came so that what's up there would be brought down here not just so that what's in here could go up there He's saying, I've come to bring the kingdom of heaven to light and to bear in this world. And again, the way I'm going to do that is through my people, those who believe in my name. 
The question is not, does Jesus still reign today when the Supreme Court has decided to somehow change a definition that was not in their power to change in the first place? The question is, will we still follow this king? I think that's a question that we need to ask. Because anyone can get up and say, well, not anyone, but you could, you could stand up somewhere and say, you know what, I'm going to change the definition of mathematics to 2 to 2 equals 4 to say 2 plus 2 equals 8. And all of a sudden, when we change something that we don't have the authority to change, it's going to cause ripple effects in a lot of different places. And so the Supreme Court may have changed their legal, the law of the land, definition of marriage. But the definition of marriage can never really change. Because God said clearly what marriage is. Very clear. If he was ambiguous about it, maybe you could make an argument, but he wasn't. I want to be, be clear in case you're, you're writing these things down. Let me tell you, Genesis 1, 27 through Genesis 2, 8. Genesis 2, 18 to Genesis 2, 25. Malachi 2, 15, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Mark 10, 6 through 9, Ephesians 5, all these places. You go on and on that where God is clear that marriage is a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman. That's it. That's it. It's not just these verses. We, I talked about this some time ago, but N.T. Wright, great Anglican scholar, is what he said. He said from the very beginning, you have to understand, when God created the world and he said it was good, he created it with a very specific design in mind, that everything the way God created it was good, where we pushed against it and, uh, and went outside of the bounds of what God created good is when this world became bad. But here's how he began. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't create the heavens and the heavens. He didn't create the earth and the earth. He created two opposing halves that when they come together, they form a perfect and harmonious whole. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't just stop there. That in the beginning, there was light and there was darkness. There was night and there was day. There was sky and there was sea. There was sea and there was land. These opposing halves that when you come together in complementary union, they form the beautiful whole. And the pinnacle of all of that was a male Man and woman, he created them. That it's not good for them to be alone. And this is the union that we call marriage. God is unquestionably clear as to the definition of marriage. And we need to be clear about that as well if we're going to follow King Jesus. He is very clear. There's no questions about it because as you go through all these passages of Scripture and then you get to Revelation, it begins Genesis 1-1 with these binaries that are complementary that come together as a union and it's good. And then when you get to the end of it all in Revelation 21, he says at the end of it, there will be a what? There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The same thing he began with in the garden, being restored, recreated, and perfected, a new binary, and it comes together in perfect union. And at the end of the day, there will be another marriage between Christ and his bride. God could not be clearer that this is the proper and harmonious functioning of the world. The question is not, is God still reigning? Or has God spoken? Right? It is crystal clear what the biblical definition of marriage is. It is also very clear what he says about homosexuality. He says about homosexuality, here it is, Leviticus 18, 22. Leviticus 20, 13. Judges 19, 16 to 24. Romans 1, 18 to 32. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Timothy 1, 10. Jude, verse 7. In all of these places, he makes it, again, as, as clear as day 
that not the disposition, but the action of homosexuality is a sin. Okay, there's a difference between a disposition. This is how Piper describes it. There's a difference between a disposition. I have a disposition to be prideful. I want people to notice me and to praise me. There's a disposition towards pride, but there's an action of boasting about these things and asking people to praise me. You see the difference, right? We all have a sinful disposition. Whether you have a same-sex disposition or an opposite-sex disposition, we're born with uh, what I believe is clear through the Word of God and through science, that we're born with a proper disposition, though it might be sinful. We're born with a disposition. The question is not, is that disposition wrong, but are you acting out on that sinful inclination? And Jesus, the Word of God is clear that if you're acting out on these same-sex desires, in the same way that outside of its proper context, if I were to act out on, a, on an opposite gender attraction, that I'd be committing sin. Sin is sin. It's the same thing. But he's saying that it's very clear in Scripture that homosexuality is a sin. So why is it then that people believe that it's not, even people within the church? I think two things. Two things that study after study has shown. The reason why people cave in who once believed that same-sex marriage is wrong, why they cave in. The more, number one reason, or the two, the, the, the two reasons for why people believe one thing or the other is faith right, and friendship. If you have faith and you understand the word of God, then you, you will be opposed to it. But some people don't understand what the word of God says. And so they say, well, you know, it's a, it seems like a good thing. It seems like equal rights sounds great. Celebrate love. That sounds great. Love wins sounds great. So let them have their thing. And so some people, because they don't know, they say they're people of faith, but they don't know what God has said. It causes them to cave into the pressure. And then there's other people who, because of friendships with people, they say, I can't, I can't deny that right to my friends. That's what they say. And I know probably all of us have friends who have same-sex attraction. I have many. I have counseled many. I sat across Starbucks with many people in this context. So it's not, I'm not talking from an ivory tower here. Like, I'm just seeing the word of God and not seeing how it connects with people that I know and care about and love. There are people I pray for, people that I long to see find the fullness of Christ within their lives, that struggle with these things. And some of them are fighting against everything within them to seek to live their lives in honor to the Lord God. And we know people like that. But we also know that the word of God, if, if Jesus Christ is king, if Jesus Christ is king, then we submit all that we are under his lordship. Right? Supreme Court is not king. Our friends and family are not king. Jesus Christ is king, and he continues to reign, and his kingdom is not of this world. The question is not, is he reigning? The question is, will we continue to follow this king in light of a world that sees the countercultural nature of his kingdom and because of it will falsely accuse us and will hate us because we follow First thing that we have to see is that Jesus is king, though. He hasn't given up that position. The second thing that we see, okay, second thing that we see is that we need to mourn over our nation. We need to mourn over ourselves, for ourselves as well. You know, at this retreat, um, one of the things that we did, and this is, you know, I wasn't very excited about doing this, but you know, I got to go. You know, things, anything that they 
do, but there's a time to pray. Time to pray for uh, Korea. There's time to pray for three things about Korea. South Korea, North Korea, the unification of Korea. That's what time to pray for. So I've been to North Korea, and so I said, yeah, you know, maybe this is where um, you know, it, might, it might be meaningful. So one of my buddies, Tony, was up there. He's a pastor in Korea, and he came for this, you know, for this conference, and he was talking about you know, the nature of life in Korea. And as he was talking about it, I, something like really, really weird began to happen to me. Like, yeah, I, I don't know why. You know, I don't know why. Like, I, I have to confess honestly that there's a lot that I didn't like about Korea. You know, and to be honest, I was very, I, I was very judgmental. And even like, I think I even condemned South Korea for a long time because you know, I, I don't like a, I don't like when girls act like cutesy and all that stuff, which was like a lot of what I see on TV. And I think it's cute when you're 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, but when you're 30, 40, 50 years old, to me, like I, like I, I got kind of like annoyed by that. And I'm not, maybe it's funny to you, but I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying that that's my heart. I didn't like like, you know, like girls on these commercials are all like, ah, you know, I want to be cute. And I, I didn't like the, 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 all the plastic surgery that goes on. Korean. I don't like the secularism that, that's rampant, and 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 part of me like took pleasure in in just like railing against Koreans because of it, not understanding that these are expressions and outpourings of a heart that is longing for affection and attention and love, expressions of brokenness and expressions of hurt and pain. And as Tony started talking about these things. Like, it was weird. I have never shed a tear for Korea. But in my heart, I just felt like this, this deep sense of heaviness and, and emptiness and pain and brokenness in my heart as he was talking about the sexual brokenness. He was talking about the emptiness. He was talking about all the places where people in Korea are going to in order to find their hope. And he's saying, could there be a better way for them but to come to the one whose arms are outstretched and come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest. And, and I just began just... Why, but the past few weeks, I've, I've talked about times I've cried, and I prefaced it by saying, I don't cry much. And so now you're thinking I'm crying all the time, but I don't. The only times I cry, I, I talk about with you because it's weird to me. I'm not Spock or anything like that. I have some emotions, but it's weird when I cry. And especially when it's something that I, I never cried about before. I just felt like God was just working in my heart and and. I could only think this is what it was, that God was saying, blessed are those who mourn, that God was giving me a heart to mourn over the sins of a nation that birthed my family. And God was saying, would you feel when you pray, break my heart for what breaks yours? For a glimpse, just a glimpse. The aching heart of God for a people that once experienced a great revival less than two decades ago. And as I was thinking, and I, I journaled, and I was processing, and I was like, oh, what was going on in my heart? I said there was two things, uh, three things that, that, that I wrote down. One, we need to pray for Korea. 
The second thing, Korea needs a revival. And then the third thing that I thought, the third thing that I felt, was we need to pray for America. And this is, it, it's hard because it's not just, it's not just like we're, we're crying because we're sad. You remember when Jesus wept over Lazarus' tomb? It wasn't because he was sad that Lazarus was dead. Why was he crying? He was weeping because of the effect that sin had on the lives of people that he loved. If we're going to weep for America, this is what he's calling us to weep over. The fact that sins have wrecked and have hurt and have ruined the hearts and the lives of so many people in our nation. It's not just about this, but... Ever since 1973 and even beyond before that, there's been an attack on the future generations of our nation. Birth control came out. All of a sudden, sex was not the God-given means in the right proper context of a covenantal relationship whereby you could indulge and delight in the object of your undying covenantal commitment, man and woman together, in order to procreate, in order to be fruitful, multiply. Stripped out of its context, it just became something for your own pleasure. Not only birth control, Roe versus Wade, 1973, became a blatant all-out attack on the generations to come. This is a spiritual battle that we've been confronted with. We've been in from the... 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6 that we don't fight with weapons of this world. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against that one Supreme Court justice. If only he... This is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle that's being waged against the future generations. Think about what world your children are going to grow up living in. We can't, we can't as a people of God, sit back and say, okay, you know what? Uh, I pray. I pray at prayer meeting for an hour on Wednesday night. I pray 30 seconds before I go to sleep. I pray 20 seconds before I eat. Is that good enough? There was generations before where our parents prayed hours for us and for our nation. If all we're doing is 50 seconds a day, then I fear for the future of our nation and of our children and our families. Jesus said in another day, could you not watch and pray an hour? Today his call would be, could you not watch and pray a minute? We're called to grieve over our nation, but it's not just our nation. We got to look inwardly and say, am I not part of the large part of the reason why we are where we are as a nation? Because I sat back idly while all of this was happening. Because I didn't do my part. Because I can rearrange my schedule on a drop of a hat if people want to get together and play cards. But I can't change my schedule in order to get out and pray at a prayer meeting with my church. We sleep in the bed that we're making ourselves, y'all. And if we're going to mourn over our nation, if we, before we cast stones, before we condemn, we got to look inward at ourselves and say, am I not culpable for the land that I live in? Am I not responsible for this, in some way, if God said, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven and I would heal their land. This is not a problem out there. This is a problem in here. And if we mourn, we've got to begin with ourselves. We've got to begin with ourselves. And I feel this, the weight of this myself. I need to repent. I need to pray. I need to be broken over my sin, over the sins of, my, of, of a Christian context, of a church in America that has been given a mantle to get up and lead. 
we have it. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Can we go back to that place? Where it's not just, hey, we're doing it right because we've got this, this, this barrier of truth around us. They're the ones who are doing it wrong. He says, let's get back because God still blesses the poor in spirit. He still does. He still blesses those who mourn. He says, they will be comforted. He still blesses the meek for we will inherit the earth. God is still placing this call out there. He says the promises are true. And they haven't been shaken. They've got to start with us. We have a brother here, um, Daniel. He goes to UVA. He hasn't seen the house on the hill, but he did graduate in the top five of his class. So he was able to give his graduation. He was able to give a speech at graduation. And during his graduation speech, he spoke of a Hasidic rabbi who was dying on his deathbed. And this is what Daniel said as he quoted this rabbi, this rabbi who wanted to change the world. He said, when I was younger, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to change the world. But the longer I lived, I realized that, no, no, it's too hard. Maybe I try and change my country. I realized that that was too hard. Maybe I'll change my state. That's too big. Maybe my city. And as he lie on his deathbed, he said, maybe if I'd done it the other way. Maybe if I'd worked. Changing myself first. Then my family would have been changed. Then my city, then my state, then who knows, maybe even the world. What if we began with ourselves? God, send revival. It says, start with me. Begin with me. I need help. I need grace. We condemn the homosexuality out there. We condemn all the stuff and the violence going out there. But we don't confront the racism of our own hearts. We don't confront the opposite sex lust that we have in our own hearts. We don't confront the prejudices that we have. We don't confront a lot of the pride and the greed and all these things within our own hearts. But can a nation be changed? Can I believe with all of my heart that a weeping prophet can still change a nation? believe that God has put us here because it's our call that we can be the difference that God's calling us to be. That a weeping man or woman of God can still change a generation. It's still possible. It's still possible. God still wants to do that. His dream is as big as the world. We've got to start with each other. Start with each other. Last thing that we see. A lot has changed. So much has changed, our mission has not. And so much has changed, our mission has not. Verse 13, you still and you only are the salt of the earth. The salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. Remember from the last two weeks that Jesus was saying, literally, you and only you, Christ followers, are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We can't leave it to government. We can't leave it to state. We can't leave it to legislature. He's saying it's us. You, in a world that is decaying and dying, are the salt that preserves it. In a world that is dark and groping around and what seems right 
is wrong and what is wrong seems right, you are the light of the world. Much has changed. But even though the grass fades and the flowers fade, the word of God stands forever. Our mission has not changed as the people of God. And it will never change. And the power of our witness and the power of our mission is that we are different from the society in which we go. And we may, we not, be, we may not be the majority anymore. But we're still called to do what we're called to do. In every sporting event, in every athletic competition, there's a home team and there's a visiting team. We may not have home field advantage anymore. But the reality is we still got a game to play and we're going to win. Because one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And this is our reality. This is our future. We've seen the end and the end is glorious for the church. We still got a game to play. We still have a mission. We still have a mission. What does this look like? I think part of what's going to happen is this not new to us. In every culture, in every generation, there's been challenges that confront the church. In fact, this, this uh, homosexual marriage thing, it's not something that's new. In fact, in the Roman times, this was an issue in the church of Rome when Paul was writing. You know, some people say, oh, the reason why it shouldn't, you know, the, the, the Bible is outdated is because they say there was in that mindset, there was no understanding of a homosexual orientation. And so when Paul and all these other authors, Leviticus, write against homosexuality, they say the argument is they're writing against homosexual acts when it is rape, when it is um, a man to a child, when it's, when it's forcible. And they say that's, that's what they're condemning. But that's not true. They say the Bible doesn't, the biblical times didn't have an idea that people were attracted to the same gender. That's that's quite frankly not true. And Paul writes in Romans 1, when he talks about homosexuality, he says that they were inflamed with lust, same sex, same gender, lust for each other. And this is a mutual thing. Not only that, you read in the writings of, of, of Plato about homosexuality, and he's talking about it. This is very common uh, knowledge that people were attracted to, to same gender folks in that day. And for whatever reason, um, the writing is clear. Scripture is clear that what Paul is writing about is not just rape, same-sex rape. He's actually talking about homosexual acts in general. And he's saying, hey, this is, this is what you know, 20 centuries later we're dealing with is history repeating itself. But what happened in the 20 centuries between? And here's what happened. The great apologetic was not the church picketing and, 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 and yelling and condemning. But the greatest apologetic for heterosexual marriages was that heterosexual marriages were beautiful and they got it right. And, they, and it caused the watching world to say, you know what, they've got something going on. And with the breakdown of marriage in our culture and our generation, it, it's, it's understandable why people wouldn't want to marry someone of the, same, of the opposite gender. That's why the onus is on us to get up and, and if you're married, do it right. Shine. If you wonder what you got, if you wish that they were not, then you ought to try making it right. That's what he's calling us to do. Get up and shine. 
do that for the glory of God. I think what's going to happen is those who are celebrating the freedom on Friday, many of them are going to come back to regret not seeming freedom in the future. And our call at that point is going to be, will we have something to say to them? We will not have anything to say to them if we have said, whatever you're doing is fine, just go and do that. We'll not have anything to say to them if we've been railing against them the entire time without love. But when they realize the bankruptcy that the forbidden fruit in which they have indulged in is filled with worms, they'll come back looking for a better fruit. And there, if our doors are open, we will have the greatest opportunity, a greater opportunity than we've known in a long time in our lives. A lot of things have changed, but our mission has not. So let me close by saying that I read this article. It said five things that Jesus would say the homosexual community. Five things that Jesus would say to a homosexual person. He would say, one, I love you. This is what we need to say. Not I love you tomorrow, I love you for who you're going to be, but I love you now. I love you now, and I will not stop loving you. The second thing that Jesus would say is, I know what it is to be rejected. I was rejected by family. I was rejected by friends. I know what it is to be rejected, and I don't reject you, even though you reject me. The third thing that Jesus would say is, I know what it is to be tempted. In fact, I know what it is to have all of hell affront me and assail me and fight against me so that I might sin. I know what it is to be tempted. I was tempted in my moments of, 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 of great Despair leading up to the cross, I was tempted. And I know what it's like. And I feel you. The fourth thing that Jesus would say is, I want more for your life. The reason why there's a design and a pattern to the way marriage and sexuality has been designed is because God wants to preserve that. Think about this. If you're about to, uh, to go uh, skydiving, and someone says, this is what you've got to do, right? You've got to pull the cord. You've got to do this. You've got to jump at the right time. If you say, you know what? I don't care. I don't, want your, I don't want those restrictions. Then in a moment, what was meant to give you life could very easily lead to your death. Because the prohibitions and the law were given to protect the joy the way that it needs to be lived. And that's important. And the last thing is that Even though I have rejected you, I will be patient and I will wait for you. I will wait for you and I will wait for you. First Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. We are far worse than we ever dared to imagine. But because of the cross, God loved us more than we ever dared to dream. The hashtag is right. Love wins. But it didn't win in D.C. or on Calvary. Love didn't win in the courts. It won at the cross. It won in a conquering way. He came to die. And he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Go and do what you were.
born to be. You were put into this for such a time as this. With what happened uh, on Friday, what was announced on Friday, in a lot of ways, the line was drawn in the sand. There will be effects if our world continues in the way that the trajectory in the arc is. But history lies with the intercessor. The future is shaped not in the halls of the Supreme Court, but it's shaped in the closets where people are praying. This is the greatest force in all of the world to shape history. When the people of God come together and pray, seek the face of God. Wars have ended, cultural wars, physical wars, battles have ended because the church has risen to embrace the call to pray. We come before the Lord today. Maybe we can pray three things. One, to mourn over our own sin. To say that I have let this happen without fighting the spiritual battle on my knees. I've let this happen by not standing for truth in a civil way when truth was needed. I've let this happen by not giving grace when grace was needed. Both truth and grace. Both grace and truth. For not praying for our prayerless lives and then for pointing fingers. Lord, that you would have mercy on us. And then let's weep and let's pray for our nation. Lord, that you would have mercy and that you would turn our hearts back to you. Lord, that you would forgive our land for the sins that we've committed. You would turn hearts back to the King of Kings. And then third, let's pray. Lord, help me to stand for you as my King. I want to follow you. I can't make you in my own image. You said there will be no other gods. There are no other gods before you, besides you. Lord, help me to walk with you. Help me to put my stake in the ground and say, I stand for Jesus. I believe in these things that we've sung. Help me to stand for you. Let's pray. Let's spend a few moments praying together. Pray for yourself in repentance. Pray for our nation in repentance. Pray that you would stand firm under the Lordship of Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray however you need to pray, quietly, out loud, on your knees, standing up, whatever you need to do. But let's pray honestly and earnestly as a down payment of saying, God, I want to pray these things throughout the week and throughout my life. The time is now. This is a momentous season where the church is called to arise and to awaken. Lord, help me to do my part. Help me to do my calling. Let's pray together. Let's pray and really believe as we surrender. God is still king. He's still on his throne. Let's pray. Let's pray for these things.
Father, when something is decaying the most, the most rapidly, it's when the salt is needed the most. And the light that shines the brightest is the one that shines when the night is the darkest. Father, we thank you that the light of the world has not gone out, that Jesus, you still shine and you will continue to shine from everlasting to everlasting. You are, you were, and you forever will be God. Help us to believe that and to stand on it. We're not on the wrong side of history for believing in you. We're not. At the end of it all, when history is consummated, Jesus will reign as a king over all the earth. And we who have followed you will reign along with it. The meek shall inherit the earth. Father, help us to be bold and help us to be brave. Not to blend in, but to stand out and to help others see the hope that is you. May our church have open doors to those who are hurting, to those who are broken, to those who are in need, in order that we might shine the light of Jesus Christ. Help us, O oh God, give us wisdom and grace moving forward to be the believers and to be the church that you're calling us to be. We thank you so much for loving us even when we were sinners, when we were your enemies. You died for us. May we see that you did that not only for us, you did that for the world, you did that for the Supreme Court justices. You did that for those who have celebrated the wins of the Supreme Court that they consider to be wins. You, you love those who have given themselves over in same-sex attraction and acted on those things. You love every one of us who's ever breathed the breath of life in this planet. You love and you gave to a people like us who are undeserving. May we go and extend grace that we freely receive. May we freely give. Thank you so much, Lord God. We love you because you loved us first. May that drive us into the world. In Jesus' name.